Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. So we're going to start out talking about our poll, which if you want to get an Anchor account, you can participate in these polls that we put up every week. So the poll was, which Winnie the Pooh character would you kill off in your own movie? So 0% picked Eeyore, Al, or Pooh. So black eye on us, because I think we had Eeyore die, right? Yeah, I think so. 50% picked rabbit. That's understandable. Like, you yeah, kind of, you rabbit's kind of see, irritating. Here's the one that's crazy. The other 50% picked Christopher Robin. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, supposed to be the audience surrogate, right? That's what makes the kids feel good. I mean, more power to you, dude. That's going to be heavy hitting, teaching your kids about mortality. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess we were doing it, but wow. <laughs> hey, see this little kid? We're going to my girl him. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, deep pull. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the other poll question was, which movie would you be most likely to watch? So this was after we did our 70s superhero conversation where you and Carl squared off. And I don't know if you've heard it. I'm guessing not based off of most history. So Carl beat you by one answer. No one picked Three Giant Men or Japanese Spider-Man. 100% picked Kiss Phantom of the Park, which I don't blame them, dude. That movie sounds fucking crazy. And if it wasn't for Kiss, me and Carl would have watched it already. <laughs> <laughs> What would you be most adept to watch out of those three? Wasn't there one that was kind of like a trauma, trauma team sort of? I don't remember any trauma team on there. But just like There was genres. plenty of crazy ones though. <laughs> I guess Three Giant Men is a story where Spider-Man is evil and he's fighting Captain America and a Mexican luchador. <laughs> In which Spider-Man gets decapitated multiple times in the story. It's like a Turkish superhero tale. And uh, Kiss Fan of the Park is too insane to even explain. But apparently Gene Simmons will fire anybody who works for him who mentions that TV movie. So <laughs> that makes me kind of want to watch it. <laughs> I just want to watch it so I can A, get hired by Gene Simmons and B, get fired by Gene Simmons. <laughs> nice. So getting started here, Netflix just dropped a trailer for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I literally just had you watch it. What do you think about this trailer? What's your initial impression? This is something I'll probably never watch. <laughs> What's the reason for that, Brandon? A, it's hard to get to watch horror movies in general nowadays. My wife really hates horror movies. I can watch them with the kids sometimes, but... It's not a high-priority genre in our house. That's probably knock one on it. By the way, I love that, like, animated movies tend to be a no-go in your house as well. So you guys, like, have the polar opposites there. You're like, no cartoons, no horror movies. <laughs> nah, I wouldn't say that about You cartoons. said it, like, two weeks ago? You were like, or maybe it was a little bit further ago, but you were telling me, for example, uh, you didn't see Spider-Man in, into the Spider-Verse for a long time because cartoons are not a priority in your house. It's something we don't see in theaters, so... So it's usually when it comes out to okay. video, we catch it. But. Okay, I see. So you delay on the animated. <laughs> yeah, usually we don't see big uh, animated releases. But horror is just out. Yeah, usually. My wife's 
goes to bed and then sometimes like if I'm having a beer or two, then I'll uh, watch a horror movie. But All right. or the kids back from college. Let's pretend like you have that scenario. <sighs> it still doesn't look good. Okay, like, why? It That's what I want to focus on. It doesn't have <laughs> the the DNA of a good Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So you mean the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah. right? <laughs> 1972. Yeah. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. All right, let me break it down this way before I launch into exactly my thoughts of it. There are three trends going on in horror, and the third one is a brand new trend. The first trend is the social thriller, right? These are the movies I'm super into, like Jordan Peele fits into that. Yeah. Um, I think to a degree, Parasite fits into that if you take into context certain aspects of it. The Lighthouse, I think, fits into that. The Babadook, things like that. Then you have the second trend, which is, hey, guys, remember the 80s and 90s? And that trend is like, bring up the nostalgia for 80s and 90s slasher movies, right? And maybe it's set in the 80s or 90s to elevate it, and maybe not, but it's going to feel like that. For example, the upcoming Studio 666 appears to me like, hey, guys, remember the 80s? and 90s that's what it feels like to me because everything about that feels like a 90s horror movie right but in the fun way right um those ones on netflix right like that's kind uh, of do it. The yeah, fear, the street. fear street yeah, yeah that's so that's your second trend the third trend which i think has just started in the texas chainsaw massacre to me or excuse me texas chainsaw massacre because they take out the in the title this confirms that it's a trend to me and i've been waiting for this to happen and it's clearly happening the we're going to make a sequel to the original and ignore all of the other sequels with a legacy character, right? Like, that's the new trend. Halloween started it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is now doing it, and it's going to go on. But it feels particularly egregious that they're ripping off Halloween here because they have that lady. I presume it's the same actress, but I don't know who's in the the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre who's just like, I've been waiting for a chance to get even with Leatherface like 50 years or however she says it. They are setting up like it's this old crazy woman who's grizzled and ready to get revenge. That's fucking the new Halloween movie, right? Like to a T, that's what they did. I think this is the new trend with these slasher movies is bring in some legacy characters. That's the bigger trend, but the more specific one is like, bring in the legacy character and ignore sequels. <laughs> However, but, I will but, say uh, it's, it's a part of a franchise that is so fucked. Uh, we talked about it on a cosmic void when we did our source material section for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All the sequels are so fucked on that, that like, if you're going to have a consistent narrative, you have to ignore almost all the movies. Same with Halloween. Halloween just goes in such crazy directions that it's like, you have to fucking cut it out like a cancer and start over. If you're going to have any kind of consistency or reboot, but the reboots aren't popular anymore, right? It's like reboot with a legacy character now. Yeah. He was never called Leatherface until uh, the third one, maybe second or third one. Definitely. I think the third one, they literally say like it's called Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, I think is what it is. (laughs) Yeah. God. Um, But. Here's my beef, like, looking at the trailer, because we can forget about the unoriginal thing that I was just talking about. 
they are doing the exact wrong move with this, at least the trailer's leading me to believe it, which is like they're doing what every Texas Chainsaw Massacre except for the first one did, which is like, let's make a slasher movie where Leatherface is the villain. That is not what the original is. No. And the original is the only one that's consistently loved by horror fans. And sometimes horror fans will like a stray sequel, whichever one it is, for whatever reason. But they're widely regarded as awful. All the sequels, right. you know? And they turned it into more of a slasher movie in the second one. And then the third one, it becomes straight up a slasher movie. And then it's just like, it's a slasher movie for each time that it comes out, right? They're clearly doing it for this movie. And I'm like, if you guys want to recapture the magic of the first one, quit it with this fucking slasher bullshit. I'm fine with slasher movies, don't get me wrong. But... It never fails to amaze me that people lose what makes that first one so good. It's not the fucking slasher part of it. It's the fucking psychological part of it, you know? Yeah, because that entire family was fucking with the victims like throughout the whole movie. And it was not just Leatherface. And Leatherface was just another character in that. He's yeah. just the one that pops because he wears a dead the skin, skin suit. Right? And he's got the chainsaw. But if we're being honest, the more deadly one in a way is the father. Like, he seems like the more dangerous one, like the more unstable one. And he has control over the other two. So he would be the one I'd be more worried about, you know? Yeah. Now, where's uh, which, the, which one was the one that put the dude on the hook or the chick on the hook? They they put a guy in the, on a hook and no, the first Who was the one. character that did that, though? Oh, Leatherface does Was that Leatherface? because yeah. Leatherface does all the, like, big heavy physical lifting. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Literally the heavy lifting. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a big dude. Or woman, or whatever. Like, they they are a big dude. Let me put it that way, because he, he wears different... They wear different outfits. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be offensive here. I just... I'm recognizing that there might be a transition story with Leatherface now that I'm thinking about it, because Leatherface plays three different characters in the original movie, right? Like, there's a one that works killing people, and there's the one that, that wears the suit at certain points, and then there's the one who dresses up in women's clothing to act as the mom at dinner, right? You've got three yeah. Leatherfaces, so they. <laughs> Do you get the impression, like, Leatherface's mom is in this movie? Yeah. What's up with that? How is this a sequel to the first one if you have a mom? Yeah, I don't They know. gave the impression there's no mother in that there is no mother. And I think they refer to her dying at some point, but maybe I'm remembering that wrong. I it's It's been a group since I actually seen the original. Yeah. It's fucking good. I oh, it's good. I, I fucking just, recommend been... watching it with your wife. Again, again, She'd love it. <laughs> I think Tusk is just was like the breaking point. <laughs> and Tusk isn't scary. It's just like it's grotesque. Super. It's super sad. Yeah, and grotesque at parts for sure. Like that. That body modification stuff is always sad because when you have somebody who's broken down, living through whatever the fuck happened to him, it is a kind of sad. It's like when I finally got around to watching Hostel because Amanda really wanted to watch it one night, and like that is not my bag at all. Like watching that type of movie, and I will say the first Hostel was all right. Yeah, but you look at certain shit and it's just like, God, dude, I don't even want to think about. About that like the lady who like loses her eye and then she basically kills herself because she doesn't want to go through i'm just like that whole thing i'm like ugh. like i don't like torture porn i have a real problem with eyes if you want to get to me in a movie you fuck with somebody guess what eyes. it gets to everybody that's why they do it you know yeah. what i mean and it's weird because i think horror directors haven't quite caught on to how effective it is in a way because they don't do it all the time 
if they did it all the time, it would just be another thing and you wouldn't think about it. But because it's done so sparingly, <laughs> everybody still goes, every time it happens. Yeah, I mean, one of the scenes that I always remember from the Saw series was when the chick had the, the key in her eye, so you had to, like, dig out her eye to get the fucking key out. Like, ugh. just, ugh. Did I ever tell you my history with the Saw franchise? Guess how many I've seen. Zero. No, I've seen one. Guess which one it was. Saw. Saw six. <laughs> oh. oh. Biggs, come on. You didn't even watch the best Saw movie. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, the first one is legit good. Like, that's, that's what I've always heard. Like, And then they're like, oh, God, it's just kicking the same dead horse over and over again. Like, Right. So I saw the fifth time they kicked that dead horse. <laughs> when my daughter's boyfriend was living with us, he had the, I think it was the six or whatever. the He had the box set of all the movies up to, not not including the, the Chris Rock one, the Book of Saw or whatever it is. Had all those, so we watched like all of them this summer and it was, the first one was good and then like you could not watch the rest of them and be fine. Like the first one is legitimately a good movie. There's a lot of like psychological stuff going on in that, but it's six one's not so good. No, they get to a point where it's fun to watch and the, it's so bad. It's fun to watch sort of way after a while. Yeah. But I wouldn't recommend doing it to anybody. <laughs> no. So I saw the six one. I feel a need to explain because I probably told you this at some point, but I know some audience is just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You start with part six. So here's what happened. My cousin, when she was in high school and I was in my 20s, I was watching my grandmother's house, which she was living in because she was in high school. And so I was like, hey, do you want to go to a movie? And she was like, yeah, what do you want to see? And I'm like, anything you want to see is fine with me. And she goes, can we go see the new Saw movie? And I'm like, okay. So I get onto IMDb and I just like read the synopsis of the first five movies. Okay, I think I got a handle on this because she really wanted to see it. And I didn't want to tell her no. So we went to it and then like the killer's alive and the killer's dead and the killer's alive and the killer's dead. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> now I have found out from people since then that he died a couple movies back and those are all flashbacks that they were showing yeah. but like they should take into account some people are going to see a part six and go to it with fresh eyes and like you got to serve them too baby you know no nobody's doing that it was just <laughs> me it was such a weird specific circumstance there's there could be worse movies you want to step in on part six like leonard part six. Oh. <laughs> Which is ironically part one. We're just going to leave that one there. Yeah, that, that's enough anymore. of that. Ross and Marshall Thuber, who directed Red Notice on Netflix, was brought in to oversee a Dungeons and Dragons show. It has repeatedly garnered a lot of interest from different streamers. Michael Lombardo, who is the president of Global Television, said, We don't want it to be just one show, so we're building it out and developing out a multi-pronged approach for a television. A number of scripted shows and unscripted, and we hope to be taking this out of the marketplace early next year. Okay, so let's start with the first question here. Do you think it's wise to make a Dungeons and Dragons show? I feel like the popularity is there for it. There's enough groundswell in the Dungeons and Dragons community that I think that people would be interested in watching something like that. I think they're also banking on the fact that there's a Dungeons and Dragons movie that's supposed to be coming out soon. On top of that, it's a known entity. And what are all the new big shows coming out? The Lord of the Rings show. You got um, that uh, Wheel of Time show. You 
you got Vox Machina. Everybody is just grabbing at fantasy stuff right now because that seems to be what people are believing are, are going to really hit in streamers right now. If you can't get Star Wars or Marvel or DC characters, why not start building off of a genre that's kind of popping right now, right? Yeah. Like it kind of makes sense. So I see the wisdom in doing this. I would ask, are you making up a generic D&D world or are you using an established D&D world? Because I know the movie is supposed to be going off a of Dragonlance, which to me is smart because you're using an established world that has source material that you can go back to and base it off of. Now, is this going to be like Forgotten Realms? Is this going to be Greyhawk? Is this going to be Ravenloft? Or is this generic D&D? You know, because if it's generic D&D, I'm already telling you, shut that shit down. Yeah. Because like having Dungeons and Dragons over the title is not going to be enough. But- yeah, I agree. I mean, what did they do? Two movies that were generic Dungeons and Dragons movies? Didn't fucking work. Yeah. Didn't work at all. Do people don't want to watch generic fantasy show? Even Game of Thrones. Like somebody's thinking Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones. Okay. It's based off of books, dude. Like already an established IP. Like Dungeons and Dragons is not an established IP outside of some video games and role playing games. Like it's got movies, but people don't like those movies. (laughs) (laughs) By and large, anyway. I I mean, there were lots of shit that went into that. I guess there was a cartoon series that nobody watches anymore from the 80s. I remember watching that back in the 80s. Do you remember anything about it, though? Not really. All I really remember was like there's a kid with a Viking helmet and one horn is kind of shorn off. That's all I remember, dude. Yeah. I think they go into an amusement park ride in the credits and then they get swooped into D&D. Yeah. And I think they can go back and forth, but I can't remember like. You remember more than me already. (laughs) Or they're trying to find a way back or. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was like, it is one of those things that Dungeons Dragons, the titles are like a lot of fantasy based stuff, but it's not like anything that gamers really know. Yeah. Okay. Here's my second question. And this is equally as concerned. I guess it's not so much a question as a comment. You're already planning out multiple series with this. You're probably going to fail out the gate. We've seen this so many fucking times with so many things. Dark Universe, for example. I mean, we could go through beat by beat with that. But the problem that all of these things have all the time is like, we want that Marvel synergy. We've said this over and over again on the show. Over and over again on I don't know how many different shows we podcasted from. You're not going to do the Marvel thing because Marvel is like, let's build a super tight movie like Iron Man and focus on that. And then we'll come up with the connective tissue as an afterthought. And then when we do the new one, that's based off of it but we like hyper focus on the new one and then we have the connective tissues and we slowly build out to something right yeah they had the plans eventually building to it slowly and they made sure that each property was good this is not what historically happens when people are trying to do this because we've never seen somebody do it like Marvel I'm not saying it's not possible to do it like Marvel but the odds are pretty fucking bad because we've got Marvel we've had DC that's continuously failing at that like even when they got great things like Peacemaker and Suicide Squad, they don't really line up with much of anything else. I guess they line up with Birds of Prey and that's about it, right? They don't even really work with the first Suicide Squad movie. None of that works with Zack Snyder's movies. Any of those properties I just mentioned. Aquaman is tied to the Zack Snyder movies. That doesn't work with any of the movies. Shazam is totally completely different than anything else that DC has ever done. Joker doesn't fucking fit because it's in a different time. Like, 
over and over and over again. They tried to do the Marvel thing and they fucking failed. And they're starting to get a foothold again and they're getting a foothold because they're just like, ah, fuck continuity. They're just going back to the DC thing and like, we're just going to do what we're going to do. So that's been the closest to success to follow Marvel because they haven't pulled that off. Even, I love Star Wars, but like Mandalorian has totally worked. The sequel trilogy didn't really so much work with all the other movies so well. People really weren't super thrilled with all of that. The Book of Boba Fett, which I have enjoyed. They did this Mandalorian episode, which I loved, but no part of it while I was watching it was like, this feels like the Book of Boba Fett. It yeah. felt like another episode of The yeah, Mandalorian. You got, you got like a free episode of The Mandalorian. And I loved the episode. It was like, yeah, but I was trying to get something going with Book of Boba Fett. So that's the one franchise that could rival the MCU, and they can't even pull it off. You got the Dark Universe <laughs> well, I mean, soon we'll get the Dark Universe again. They'll put out a movie and then they'll fail and they'll recede back into the crypt to replan putting out another movie to try it again in three years. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Eventually, they'll just have these five bombs align to become a super bomb. I watched season one of The Witcher. We started season two. Season three is coming out soon. That is a fun show. If D&D wanted to do something, they could actually look at that one because it's still doing really well. Like it's in the top 10 of Netflix right now. What has been interesting in that is they have done a really good job of developing characters in that show. Give me an example. The main character, uh, Geralt, uh, who's the Witcher, which is it's like a... It's like a witch hunter, right? No, he's a kind of a sub-race of human. 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 And I mean, they got some elves. And they got dwarves. So, I mean, it's kind of your basic fantasy layout, but it's mostly humans. But they did a really good job of developing his backstory. And then, like, they have all the comics that it's based off of. I guess they've done a pretty good job of keeping to those comics. Was it a video game? Also a video game. I feel like I've heard way more than I ever wanted to hear about the video games. (laughs) (laughs) Which zero was the answer of how much I wanted to hear, but kept hearing it anyway. (laughs) There is one video game franchise that I really care about characters from. God of War. That's the one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be very real to the audience right now, and it might be awkward in the room, especially if Carl hears this later. I find nothing more boring than somebody talking about a video game oh God, that I've it's never awful. played. The fucking worst, man. Oh, it's and awful. It's the nature of the show. You have to talk about video games sometimes. Like, you just do. But I'm not an avid gamer anymore. It is fucking mind-numbingly bad for me every time we talk about video games. And, like, I try and put on my best face. But, like, (laughs) oh, my God, I could give a fuck less. (laughs) It's like somebody telling you about their fantasy football team when you're not playing against them in fantasy football. You know what I mean? (laughs) Nobody wants to hear about somebody else's fantasy football team. Nobody wants to hear about somebody else's video game. And nobody wants to hear about your fucking CISO show that you miss that went away with the streaming service like you know what I mean your super teeny tiny show that nobody knows nobody wants to know about that either (laughs) (laughs) those are the three most boring things on earth I'm guilty of one of those (laughs) not CISO but 
equivalent stuff, you know? Yeah. Anyway, The Witcher. So uh, good character development. Yeah. Um, How's the story move? Do they do a good job of containing pacing, a big story in, in a season or? they like the, the whole first season, like it continually builds a, um, it builds a good arc throughout it. And then it also does a really good job of balancing a standalone story within an episode. He goes into a town and he's got to face whatever it is, the monster. But the monster of the week. Yeah. That's not something that happens every episode either. And they'll have blocks with the Witcher and his character development outside of just killing monsters. Yennefer, the mage, her story, and then the kid's story. Like there's all these inner, like it's, there's a lot of different storylines that are all being developed. I mean, it's not up to the level of Game of Thrones, but it's a fun watch. Well, let's move on. So Anthony Daniels released a picture on social media of his mocap suit as he prepared to play C-3PO again. So I guess they're not having him wear a metal outfit anymore because <laughs> dude's like, what, 64 or something like that at this point. It was not mentioned what project it was for, but the speculation it will be for an upcoming Disney Plus special called The Droid Story, which Kathleen Kennedy announced would star 3PO paired off with R2-D2. So what do you think a droid story could be if that's indeed what this is? We got R2-D2 and C-3PO together. I mean, I know that's shocking because usually they're apart because I've only seen The Force Awakens. But (laughs) 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 what kind of shenanigans do you think they get? It's weird because you have one character who can't talk as far as the audience is concerned, you know? Yeah. Like sometimes you get the little like farty beeps. So, you know, he's not happy when he says that stuff. And I got you can get like emotion from him. Right. Yeah. But that's about it. You don't know what the fuck he's saying. Major emotion. Not not minor emotion. Now, fortunately, 3PO says three times the amount of a normal person. So (laughs) you'll get plenty of dialogue still. But what do you think this is? Well, you know, episode three, they end up getting kicked out of an Applebee's because C-3PO just loses his shit when his steak's overburned. <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> it's an interesting reading of Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> Dexter was pissed, dude. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to picture, like, what kind of thing do they do? Is this going to tie in with the Mandalorian? Because R2-D2 is off with Luke Skywalker, so it's probably somewhere different in the timeline. Let's decide what part of the timeline we want this to be in. I want it to be in the wide open. You know what I mean? I want it to be between the Mandalorian and uh, The Force Awakens at some point. Yeah. But I feel like R2 is going to be with Luke the entire time, right? Okay, so maybe we go backwards. Luke's building the Jedi Temple. What Jedi Temple? The one that Kylo Ren destroys. I feel like they were sleeping out in a tent. Wasn't he in a tent? I don't remember. Come on. (laughs) It was all flashbacks. Some of us watched it more than once. (laughs) And I still don't fucking remember. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think it was a tent. I don't remember a temple. Either that or they had to work their way into the temple. Daniel LaRusso style. They had to like. (laughs) Hey, the fins. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't be so far from it. I'm going to guess that 3PO is going to gain an ability to make women's tops go down. And then R2-D2 is just going to stare and beep lewdly at them. And then eventually C-3PO is going to learn that like he cannot talk to women droids and then get their attention better than using telekinesis to drop their tops. 
Are you pulling a zapped on me right what? now? What? What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm sure that's what plan Kathleen Kennedy has. Because if this movie doesn't do well, they'll all attribute it to Kathleen Kennedy, right? <laughs> <laughs> if it fucking kills, they'll be like, it was Dave Filoni. <laughs> if it fucking fails, it's Kathleen Kennedy's fault. That's all the toxic fans. That's what they do now. Yeah, they do. There is nothing that sounds interesting about the droid story. I'll watch it. There's nothing on the surface that I'm, like, super excited about, but I've seen a story where, like, two droids were, like, plotting down a desert, and I like that pretty well. So, yeah, it's worth a shot. We'll see. Okay, a little bit of Spider-Man news, because Spider-Man is still the number one movie in theaters, just because there's almost nothing in theaters right now. Yeah, it's it's a desert out there. Yeah, because of Corona. I haven't even been going to the theaters, but if I'm being honest, it's... There's a large part of it is like there's nothing to go see because yeah. it's just Spider-Man all the time and like shit I've already seen. But uh, Vincent D'Onofrio was saying on a morning show that he would love to play Wilson Fisk in a Spider-Man movie. He says it's the only character he doesn't get tired of playing and there would be so many uses of him in the MCU. So to me, this feels like confirmation he didn't get killed in Hawkeye, right? I mean, that's I don't that, think that's... he meant it to be, but like it's total confirmation, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I figured already. I'm just saying. I think we can assume that at this point. Yeah, I feel. I feel like they left it open enough that like Fisk isn't dead. They didn't show him get killed. Yep, that's all you need to know. If you saw him get killed, then he's dead. And he's got enough connections he can get get fixed up. But I mean, if you saw him die, then he's dead because it's MCU. It's not DC where they just throw him in a Lazarus pit and he comes back. <laughs> It's all right, because when they get thrown in the Lazarus piss... They, they turn get, when, evil for a while. <laughs> let me re-say that, because I said Lazarus piss. Uh, when they get thrown in the mm. Lazarus pit, ground's rotten down there. <laughs> Don't, Don't throw go down there. <laughs> That's what I want to see. It's just like <laughs> the old guy from Pet Cemetery hangs out with the, the Lazarus pit. They're just like, I'm going to throw Jason Todd in this thing. Don't throw Jason Todd in there. You thought he was annoying before. He'll get even worse. <laughs> Crown's rotten down there. That's the thing DC should do. If DC had any sense of humor, they would do it. God damn it. Yeah, we all know there's no sense of humor in the DC. Going back to sense of humor and back to Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield believed that the icebreaker between himself, Tobey Maguire, and Tom Holland on the set of the movie was how much it sucked to pee in the Spidey suit. There was talk about going to the bathroom and, you know, padding around the package. We talked about what worked for each of us. Tom was jealous because I have little zippers in my suit that I can get my hands out of very easily. To work his phone, he had to use his nose because he couldn't access his hands. So there's a lot there. But let's start on the peeing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when I read that, I was like, they probably don't have like a fly that's easy to get to or whatever with the suit. It's probably all one piece, right? Yeah. But then I was like padding. Oh, that sucks, dude. Just padding everywhere. Can you imagine how swampy your crotch is going to (laughs) get? Oh, God. Because it's like anytime you're wearing that costume, it's going to be extra hot because your entire body is like covered with spandex or whatever the fuck they're using. And then like the defined muscles that they put in because you know it's not all them being buff or whatever. Like some of it is their defining muscle, right? Yeah. Have you ever gone through the swamp before and you just wipe your forehead? That would be your pubic hair. Oh, God. Have you ever gone to do dishes and you got a sponge that somebody didn't wrung out and you, like, touch it? That's your taint right there. (laughs) Brandon, just watch me touch myself. There's going to be a sexual lawsuit, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) 
I've been Louis C.K. <laughs> yeah, now watch. <laughs> what a great apology he gave. He was basically like, yeah, I did it. Now watch me do it on this letter. Like, what a fucking asshole. <sighs> The other thing I want to unpack on this is Tom Holland, instead of not texting, he's just like, I'll use my nose. (sighs) What? You can't put down your phone long enough to fucking make a Spider-Man movie? Seriously? You're making a Spider-Man movie. What could possibly be in that text that's better than making a Spider-Man movie? I don't know. I thought I was listening to an interview with one of the previous movies that... He didn't know what the Spider-Man suit looked like until the movie came out. I think that was probably for Civil War. I think so. Because like Civil War, if you think about it, we never see him partially dressed in the costume, right? Right. So there you go. It's that one because he gets the suit from Tony. We don't see him suit up like we see him when he's already suited. Probably that one. But think of him without the mask so many times. So, like, he clearly knows what the suit looks like in other movies. But I think you're right. Civil War, that's probably the one. Yeah. A lot of that's all CGI suit, so I don't know. But the mocap suit could be just as, like, a pain in the ass. That's true. All right, we got Carl here. Hey. So, I'm not a fan of the Razzies. I think they're a pretty stupid uh, concept. But this year, they added a new category that is just the funniest goddamn thing. And it is Bruce Willis has been nominated for eight movies. And it's all like, which of these eight Bruce Willis movies is the worst Bruce Willis movie that came out this year? Oh, my God. He was in eight movies? (laughs) At least. (laughs) I don't know if he was in more, but he was in at least eight. And so the list of the movies that he's... (laughs) It's just like, uh, I've never heard of any of these fucking movies, dude. He's been making a living off of doing these weird little European productions that aren't necessarily European movies, if you know what I mean. Like, they're made for the small market, but they're shooting in Europe because they're very cheap. And he's a dude who will show up for the paycheck and sort of sleepwalk through the performance. That's basically been his career for the last couple of years. But eight, that's crazy, dude. That means he worked at least eight days this year. (laughs) (laughs) And they're all just like these generic lockdown, crack up, crack down, lock up. (laughs) Like... (laughs) only thing that makes any sense to me in my mind is that Bruce Willis is facilitating money laundering for drug cartels. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, like, that's these who makes movies, these types of nobody movies. Nobody is watching these movies. They are being produced and edited and spit out onto DVDs and then immediately chucked into the bottom of the dollar bin at Walmart. Because people are still going to buy, they'll, they'll still they'll buy Sherlock and Holmes with Will Ferrell and before they buy any of this garbage. You know, it's interesting too, because this style of movie that you're talking about, which honestly is often used for money laundering, not saying that's any of these eight movies, but there's a good chance. It's a real problem with when one of these movies becomes a hit. A case in point, a very famous example is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So the original one was being funded by cocaine. They didn't know that, but the guy who was funding it wound up funding Deep Throat. And that was also a money laundering thing. So we had these two giant hits that became this big thing that 
it becomes hard to smuggle money around when you've got a giant hit on your hands and suddenly people want to look at your books, you know. And in that particular case, the dude wound up going to prison for a while. He wound up having to sell the rights to settle a court case where they basically won a judgment because they didn't get paid properly. And so they got paid like 25 years after they made the movie what they were supposed to get paid. (laughs) So here's the list. The category is worst performance by Bruce Willis in a 2021 movie. Bruce Willis in American Siege. Your description of generic like title that tells you exactly what it is, very apt to this. You can just tell this is like a bunch of thugs invading somewhere and Bruce Willis is probably a cop on the edge who like holds them back, right? Yeah. Bruce Willis in Apex. Apex. Not sure what that is, like, but it's I'm definitely assuming Apex Predator, something probably, like that. Yeah. Probably uh, a cop on the edge who's really good at his job. Bruce Willis in Cosmic Sin. Okay, this is probably a guy who gets embroiled in a religious scandal and has to kill a bunch of people. And he's on the edge. (laughs) He always has to kill a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Willis in Deadlock. Okay, another cop movie, still on the edge. Uh, Bruce Willis in Fortress. This is a retired soldier movie, I think. Putting on the stars one last time to do one last job. Maybe even a paramilitary group. Oh, here's Bruce Willis's uh, attempt at an Oscar nomination. Uh, Bruce Willis in Midnight in the Switchgrass. Small town. Uh, something happens at midnight in the Switchgrass. <laughs> and Bruce Willis is on the edge about it. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. Bruce Willis in Out of Death. Another, oh, I killed everybody. I'm all out of death. <laughs> yeah, I'm all out of death. I'm so lost without it. <laughs> and then the eighth one is Bruce Willis in Survive the Game. Survive the he, game, not an, surviving. Not surviving the game. He's not surviving the game. It is an order. <laughs> Survive the game. <laughs> I'm betting he's on the edge before the game starts. I think it's a remake of Surviving the Game, but it's done as like a game show, and Bruce it's Willis like, is the game show host. It's like, let's do Surviving the Game, but what if everybody was white? <laughs> it's probably what it is. <laughs> let's just replace the guy who played Rock and who is in Rudy and replace Ice-T with Bruce Willis, and let's see what we got there. Just lily white as shit, and 199 on on demand right now <laughs> let's see how close we got with some of these i guarantee he's on the edge on at least like seven of those he's got to be on the edge he's yeah. on the edge okay american siege that's the most recent one to come out an ex nypd officer turned sheriff of a small <laughs> rural georgia town has to contend with a gang of thieves who've taken a wealthy doctor hostage oh who else is in this anybody else that we know not a single person I've ever seen. I think you could just assume seen. with all okay. of these titles. Fortress. Bruce Willis. Fortress. A group of criminals hell-bent on revenge forces a retired officer <laughs> and his son to save the day. Okay. Anybody in... Chad Michael Murray. I recognize that name. I don't know who he is. Shannon Doherty. Okay. Uh, Deadlock. An ex-military man working at a Georgia power plant has to spring into action to prevent disaster when a group of rogue soldiers gain control of the plant and take... The employee's hostage. So I basically reverse the synopsis on these last two movies. <laughs> like <laughs> they're basically the same movie, but let's see. Ooh, Matthew Marsden. That guy might be related to James Marsden. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, nobody else in that movie that anybody recognizes. Uh let's see. Apex. <laughs> Six elite hunters pay to hunt down a man on a deserted island only to find themselves becoming the prey. Now that is surviving the game. Yeah, it's absolutely That's surviving, surviving the game. The game. <laughs> 
Like I said, okay. what is surviving Survive the game the of game. light? <laughs> Survive the game. A man's life on his farm is interrupted when a cop and a pair of dangerous criminals show up. Oh, he's. this is another one where he's with Chad Michael Murray again. <laughs> These guys are doing cop sh- movies together, or like uh, violent movies together. Okay, out of death. Out of death. A corrupt sheriff... <laughs> <laughs> department in a rural mountain town comes undone when an unintended witness throws a wrench into their shady operation. These aren't even movie plots. These are like single episodes of a burn notice or a single episode of like whatever. The Pretender. Remember The Pretender? Or an action movie from the early 90s. Because oh, that was like every other action movie. Okay. Midnight in the Switchgrass. An FBI agent and Florida State officer team up to investigate a string of unsolved murder cases. Ooh. Emil Hirsch and Megan Fox are in this one. And Lucas Haas. Has Megan Fox fallen that far? Interesting. Cosmic Sin. Seven rogue soldiers launch a preemptive strike against a newly discovered alien civilization in the hopes of ending an interstellar stellar war before it starts so they're just like killing aliens so okay. not a religious on the edge oh frank grillo's in this one yeah frank grillo does that, that guy will do anything yeah. yeah he's not been around long enough that he can't be in a movie like this and you're like what why <laughs> he's also a guy that most people don't know who he is you know what i mean like he has a very specific thing he does and often people have seen him in something Looks they like just those were the is. eight movies he was in this year. Okay. Those were his eight. He was in eight movies this year. Does it feel like he's just trying to set a record for being in the most things? He has started a competition with like Nick Cage, and Nick Cage doesn't even know that the competition is happening. Nick Cage <laughs> is just like, I just like being on a movie set, so I'm going to go do this craft services. Oh, I haven't no. cooked a meal for myself in fucking 20 years because I just eat at craft services every day. And then like Bruce Willis is like, I'm going to fucking get you, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and Nicolas Cage is like, hey, Bruce, what are you doing? High school, buddy. <laughs> I like your setup, but their movies sound very similar because of similar reasons. They both want money, but I think for different reasons. Like Nicolas Cage, legendary for how he's misspent his money. And he went bankrupt, I think, for a while. And so he's trying to like pay off debt. I think Bruce Willis, I'm guessing because I haven't heard those stories, I think he's just trying to sustain his lifestyle that he's used no, to. No, but here's the big difference that I see. The big difference is like... Nicolas Cage does movies that I feel like he genuinely finds some redeeming quality or some fun, weird thing that is going to make it entertaining. I think he does but movies. These fucking movies that this that Bruce Willis does are the most generic yeah. plots imaginable. I, I think like, the difference is like Bruce Willis pig? can still get a paycheck doing that kind of thing because he did that genre I so much. I think Nicolas Cage is making but the like, movies he wants to make. Though. I think Nicolas Cage gets handed a ton of scripts and then picks the ones that he likes. Likes, but he's going to be in like three or four movies a year every yeah. year. Oh, and the, the, that's the, that's the difference is like he's not going to say no like at a period of time if he doesn't see something he wants, but he's going to like look through stuff for something that pops. I think Bruce Willis just keeps doing the same role over and over well, again. And I, it's I also easy. think that like Nicolas Cage is looking for people that genuinely care about making movies. And Bruce sure. Willis only cares about making money. Yeah. Like, I don't think Bruce Willis gives a fuck about That's what the I'm craft saying. of acting. Nicolas Cage has to keep working. Bruce Willis does not. I think he just wants to maintain a lifestyle. That's the Yeah, difference. yeah. No, that, I agree with that for sure. And But, like, I mean, you look at even that, like, Wally's Wonderland or whatever, the one with the animatronic that's basically a Five Nights at Freddy's movie but right. isn't. Uh, 
that movie is it's not good, but I am glad that I watched it. The fact that like when the script was given to Nicolas Cage, he had one line and he's like, can we just get rid of that one line? And I just have no lines. And they're just like, okay. And then like, literally there are 10 minute sequences in that movie that are just montages of him cleaning up a restaurant. Right. Like (laughs) watch him play pinball and then take a break from pinball to go mop a floor and paint a wall. And then he goes back to playing pinball. Meanwhile, these animatronic monsters are murdering teenagers and he is ignoring all of it, except when it directly gets in his way. And then he's like, just violent and brutal and he never says a word and then at the end of the movie teenage girl gets in his car he doesn't say a word to her he just lets her get in the car and he drives away and you're like what the fuck is gonna happen there (laughs) that's how you're ending this fucking thing oh god it was so bad but it was so much fun to watch like pig i've heard wonderful wonderful things about pig and uh and I'm super excited for his nonsense movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Dude, Talent. Looks amazing. Looks so good. Yeah. Getting like sent, going to like some, what is it, like a crime lord's lair who's making him reenact his old movies or some shit for a bunch of money. It's like, and the fact that, that it's loosely based on his real life in what you were saying that he like has to do all these ridiculous things to pay off his debts. And this is like just an exaggeration it's an exaggeration of his real yeah, life but and see, it's that off the wall <laughs> this is like a key difference i think between these two actors that we're talking about based off of what i know you know like i i don't know the whole story but it seems like nicholas cage can still be in a big movie and he can be in a big movie because people tend to like to work with him and he really does bring it even in these shitty things you know we make all sorts of jokes about how over the top nick cage goes but he's also doing that because he sees something in the role where he thinks that's what I need to do. Like, he's still trying to make every movie he's in good, whether it's a failed effort or not. He's trying and he never yeah. stops trying, which is why he can still be in a big movie, right? Bruce Willis doesn't try. He infamously does not try anymore yep. and hasn't tried for a long time, which is why he has to be in these shitty movies. <laughs> yeah, it's why. Yeah. When I hear the story about like cop cop out. Mm-hmm. that Kevin Smith tells. I'm like just 100% on Kevin Smith's side. And it's not because I'm biased towards Kevin Smith. It's because, man, Bruce Willis does not care anymore. He just doesn't care anymore. Yeah. He's like, he's and like, he had and a- he doesn't have a sense of humor about it either. Like Harrison Ford doesn't give a fuck anymore, but he'll still laugh about it. You know, he'll still like do a funny joke or like be the butt of a joke. Also, Harrison Ford always brings it too. I- I'll give yeah. you an example. The Star Wars holiday special. So if you've ever watched this on YouTube, it's absolutely awful. That is a fairly old example, though. Yes, but I think it's a good example for him. He did not want to do it. He was upset to do it. He was contractually obligated to do it. He did not want to do it. And he comes in, and when you watch him in his scenes, he's the best one in the thing. Because, like, he absolutely (laughs) brings it. He brings it, dude. He tries really hard for this dippy fucking terrible special. I can't imagine it was that hard for him to be the best part of that. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Hamill wanted to be there, and, like... He's weird in it. Like, I don't know like, if they just didn't a, get enough. Here's ca- an analogy cases. for you. Carrie, Carrie Fisher was definitely doing coke. Here's and- an analogy for you. Even a, even a rock is going to be the best part of a crap salad. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> <laughs> so you wanted to talk about Keenan a little bit, right? Yeah. Good old Keenan. Keenan Thompson from Saturday Night Live got his own show on uh, whatever channel it is. NBC or Fox or whatever. I don't know. I watch it on Hulu. In the show, he plays a widowed 
morning talk show host named Keenan. He's got two little girls. His dead wife's father lives and with them and helps him raise his family. His little brother is his manager and lives with him. <laughs> so the show is about his home life with his family and then about being a morning talk show host and all the stuff that revolves around that. And I watched the first three or four episodes last year, and I feel like it's a bit of a throwback. It's not a total throwback, but in terms of the way they set up the sitcom, it feels like a lot of late 80s, early 90s sitcoms. There's a lot of tropes in it. Um, it's not shot that way. It's it's a single cam, no audience, no set, no. That's no, where they're not on a side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's filmed like a mo- like a modern family, like modern style sitcom, but it has a lot of tropes from old school sitcoms. I, I think the setup, the the character dynamics, it feels like the older school comedy where it's like yeah. the father, the mother dies for whatever reason. And so, like, you start out that with the premise so that you probably you can have them date a bunch of different people. Like, it, yeah. it feels like a lot of that. Kind well, and of even thing. just like the the family unit itself is very diverse. It's like different from what you would normally. So you've got the dead wife was an Asian woman. Keenan's obviously black, so their kids are mixed. And then her dad is Don Johnson, and he's pretty fucking white. And his character specifically, I'm talking not about Don Johnson, but about his character. His character is like, what if that song about pina coladas came to life? (laughs) And Don Johnson famously white in Django Unchained. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don Johnson is so fucking good on this show. He's just so chill and, and great. And Chris Redd is fucking crushing it as well. Like, I'm really glad that SNL has softened their stance on letting their cast members branch out and do other things because I'm glad that Chris Redd is getting to do this. He's got a thing he does on SNL and it's good. I I think he's really funny. I like the songs that he does on SNL. I like the sketches he does on SNL. This is like very different from that and it's super good. Like his... His character has like real is going through real growth in the second season. And I'm fucking digging it, dude. I'm digging it. In a lot of sitcoms, you'll have a a, a plot play out where it's like character uh, has a, a problem. And then it's because of something somebody else is doing. And then they like talk to the other person and explain to them, this is why it makes me feel bad. And the other person's like, oh, no, let me fix it for you. And then the other person fixes it for them. And then that's the resolution but in this particular episode chris red is throwing a tantrum basically at his family members and then they they kind of put up with it for a while but then they reach a point where they're just like hey man you're in this position because of decisions you've made in your life this is not on us to fix your life for you and he has to reckon with that and you see flashbacks from when he was a kid that like shows how he got to that point and it makes sense that he would get to that point. But now he has to reckon with that, you know, and I think that's a lost art, not just in the new generation, but in people of our own fucking generation. Yeah. That have like, that just do not know how to reckon with their own issues. You know, like I know, and this is not to shade younger people, but I had a younger girl that I worked with at an old job and she made it very clear to all of us that she had emotional issues. Not so that we could be aware that she had this issue that she was working on, but so that we could change our behavior to like mold it around her bullshit so that she doesn't have to change who she is. And she can just say, oh no, it's, it's not my fault. I have emotional problems and you have to figure out how to 
how to ma- manage that. I'm not going to do any work to manage my own, you know, emotional instability. You just have to figure out how to like work around it, you know. And is putting... this a is this a Gen Z kid? Uh, she was pretty young. She was like she was like eighteen. Yeah, and I'm I don't want to put it on the generation as a whole. No, no, no. I, I it's just an observation. I'm noticing. So when we're young, and I mean every generation with this, we take a thing that's going to be a defining characteristic of our generation, but we go way too far with it. And then as you get older, you start to back off it a bit. For example, I'm at the tail end of Gen X. We had this obsession with not selling out, and it was very obnoxious in the 90s in particular (sighs) about it. But like that's how we were. It was just like go into overdrive to not sell out and to prove you're not selling out and to like damage certain things in your life life to prove to people that you're not selling out yeah, like and, that's a thing but then figure out how to still sell out in the process but like behind the scenes. well that's when you get older <laughs> behind the scenes <laughs> that's you when you get older you figure sneaky. it out and i think this is a thing with generation z is uh in particular like being triggered and things like that like there is a very real difference between having something traumatic that literally triggers you and not liking something and so saying i'm triggered over and over again and trying to get people to act differently because you don't like a thing and so you use triggered as a a catch-all excuse like it's not an excuse and it's something that i predict as they get 10 years older 20 years older that shit will start to go by the wayside and they will actually look at legitimately how to not do that and they'll be better than we were at looking at that stuff i do believe it did you know that apparently uh did you know that there were like transphobic allegations against rosario dawson so I did know the thing about Rosario Dawson. I remember looking into There was it. an actual lawsuit filed against her by a family friend that accused her of like physical abuse and intentional misgendering to cause harm, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the case was eventually dismissed. Right. right? That's that's what I, I remember. I don't want to dismiss it outright because it's been a while since I read the stuff. But I feel like what I read, it seemed like everybody around them was like, no. Yeah. Well, this is the thing is that she's pretty outspoken about being pro LGBT. Right. She's freaking. I don't know if she's still in a relationship with Cory Booker, but she was while he was running for president. And he he is fairly pro LGBT, like as pro LGBT as a politician can be, because they're always protecting their their self their bottom line. Yeah. yeah. But uh, man, people are like they've they're like, well, I guess Ahsoka can't be for everybody in Star Wars. No, because if I look at Ahsoka, I see Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka and I just like, oh, it's a transphobe. That's a weird thing to me. Like, it's one thing when credible allegations come out and it's like there's evidence of proof. There's usually a a record because people tend to come out on the record about that stuff. Uh, An accusation like this against Rosario Dawson, I'm not sure how credible of an accusation it is. So... If I haven't seen a whole lot of personal growth out of Rosario Dawson since then, is that really a big deal if she maybe wasn't didn't need to grow all that much? Like if these allegations are kind of blown out of proportion or exaggerated or just straight up lies. I don't know. To I don't want to speak to that because I want to trust people when they come forward like this. Yeah. To me, I, I look at two things with Rosario Dawson. The first is it seems like everybody behind the scenes has like lined up to take her side on this the second thing is that she has a public record of being pro lbgtq so it's 
hard for me to believe with the reckon those two things with like this person saying it now is it possible it's possible but i don't know how serious i'm gonna take it if it got thrown out in court if everybody is backing her and she's got a record on it it, it's just hard for me to to look at that like i'm not going to just cancel everybody because somebody hits them with the cancel stick like you know the thing you need to well and the thing you need to bring something that illuminates it i'm often talking about on the show like how many times if we had somebody where like allegations came out and I'm like, you know, I remember this one thing they said and it hit me in the wrong way. And now I'm thinking about it more, you know, like I just don't have that with Rosario Dawson. Right. And I think the thing is too, is like, um, this, it was, I don't know how this court case ever would have gone anywhere because they were alleging things that really just comes down purely to hearsay. They had no physical evidence whatsoever. And it's like, if they brought this, they went to a lawyer this person went to a lawyer and said, I want to bring this case against Rosario Dawson. And the lawyer's like, I can't imagine the lawyer wasn't like, okay, where's your evidence? Oh, I don't have any. You're not going to win this case. Or they were like, it's a celebrity, so let's try it out and see if they buy out. I don't think they were trying to win an actual court case. I think they were trying to get this court case into the court of public opinion. Yes. I don't think it was ever about justice i think it was about let's fucking slander this bitch on fucking in the media you know and that's makes me fucking sad because people this is the thing that people kind of forget in these when we form these parasocial relationships with these celebrities and we're like like we like to think that they're going through their days like thinking about all this shit but they're just being people too you know and like uh there could be something purely personal between these two people that's not actionable because it's just a personal beef. Right. And so if you can twist it into like, oh, let's make her into a trans, make her the next JK Rowling, then, you know, but it's not like she's out there tweeting things about trans people. This was like a personal thing that happened between her and one other person behind closed doors. So it's like, I don't think that's enough to label somebody as a transphobe. I don't think it's enough to just say she's a transphobe i can't watch anything that she's in because she's a transphobe and blah 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 you know like here's another so is example this, is this drumbeat starting up again because of the most recent episode of the book of boba fett yes because she was in book of boba fett and for some reason i like i saw so i saw this great thread recently about um the impact of boba fett on all of the characters in the mandalorian and how like every single one of these characters boba fett has had some important impact on their lives whether it's ahsoka seeing boba fett's face and seeing the face of rex and other clones that she has a personal connection with or uh the way that cobb vanth Never would have become the freaking sheriff of that little town if he hadn't gotten Boba Fett's armor and wasn't using it to protect his little town. And then that caused a chain reaction with the Mandalorian, et cetera, et cetera. And like, he takes the armor so he's not unbeatable against Cad Bane when he does that duel as well. So I was like, this is a really good threat. And any and I retweeted it. And now like 70% of my Twitter feed is fucking Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm so I'm seeing a lot of this shit more than I normally would. Like there was a thing where somebody they took Cad Bane and they they just changed his look to be more in line with the way he looks in Clone Wars, the animated version mm-hmm. right, of the character. And the only uh, version before this episode. <laughs> and so then Screen Rant saw that and they posted a thing about it. And they're like, an artist on Twitter has fixed 
the character. I hate this shit. And the guy himself was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I would never say I fixed it. I was just doing an experiment. I was just seeing how he would look. Personally, I think the Clone Wars version looks way fucking worse than the live action version because I don't like how low and wide his nose is in the cartoon. I like how it's narrower and kind of up higher, like the brim of his snout, I guess you would call it. It's not a nose. It's like a snout. I mean, you can do things in animation that are more exaggerated because it's animation. But when you're putting it into live action format, even if it's CGI where you're animating it like this, like Cad Bane clearly is. You want to give it a more sense, a better sense of proportion is what it comes down to. Because like in the cartoons, like look at fucking uh, Count Dooku in Clone Wars. His face is fucking stretched way the fuck out. He has a long ass face. Yeah. And that's because it's a fucking art style in a cartoon. Yeah. This is a live action thing. You can't do the same shit. No. I mean, like you look at Padme, for example, she's got way bigger eyes in that because it works for that character. Like you make her more expressive, but you put that on a person who's supposed to be passing for real. It's just not going to work. Like it's animation versus they kind of they, you know, they tried to do that in that battle angel Alita, give her big cartoon eyes. And apparently that made her eyes too big in the test screenings and had to shrink her eyes a little bit for the final. Just to, to come down on the record again, I am a fan of that that model. Like it's it's heartbreaking what she does with her eyes and everything in that movie. Like I actually really like the design of the character. I know yeah. people are talking. No, about I thought Candy it. Lo- Valley, I thought she but... looked good. No, I thought yeah. the final product was very good. I'm not. I don't think that the big the bigger eyes from the test screenings were that bad. Yeah, I haven't seen. Uh, them, they so weren't. I can't but you know, the thing it. is, is that they got it right in the movie. That's man, how I feel. We fucking really just love to overreact to shit. Oh yeah, hundred percent. As human beings, man, it's no, like I will say something might be mildly unsettling, and a person's reaction to it will be like, "This ruined my entire day." Now I will say, "Fuck you." I I, I keep <laughs> up with with Star Wars fandom on Facebook, and I'm in a group called Star Wars fans who aren't dicks about it. And sometimes the people are dicks, but they're way less toxic on the whole right. than a lot of these sites, which is why I veer away from that. So from my own little limited interaction, people were very excited at Cad Bane, Grogu, Ahsoka. Like, it was just, it felt like a home run episode. Like, it felt like the home run episode that I felt it was. Manda and I were just, like, stoked But you know this. that there is a shockingly large amount of people that were, like, spewing vitriol on Twitter because the hat wasn't wide brimmed enough. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous to me. Let, How let do me you ask have you, enough energy to devote your own life force to bitching about something like that? Look, There's not enough life. You don't have enough life in your body to devote life force, to devote energy to fucking complaining about shit like now, that. Let me ask you something objectively, because I think we established last episode, I believe it was last episode, that you're relatively unfamiliar with the cartoon. So Cad Bane probably meant nothing to you until he I showed mean, up on screen, right? I didn't, he, he was, he, I didn't know who he was. Right. I saw okay. a guy show up, I'm like, ooh. Okay, so for sinister, you, for you, this is objective. When you see him show up with the hat down, like covering his face a bit, I mean, what was the effect on you when you saw that? Uh, the first thing that pops in my head is I know this guy is dangerous because anybody that doesn't match your eyesight but is still a threat is an extra threat. Like, that's a way that they do to enhance somebody's threat level yes. is be like, 
they're not even fucking looking at you. Yeah. But they're going to kill you. And he's in shadow, which is always a tip off that it's somebody who's not just on like the, the lone up. evil gunman walking down the yep. desolate wasteland, like very Western, very so, like spaghetti Western classic. Shit. Everything you're saying here describes Cad Bane to a T in the Clone War. So I would say you can sit there and complain about the hat size. What about? But clearly they conveyed everything that they needed to convey about that character to somebody who's not aware of that character, which I would say like means that they absolutely service that character. Yeah, I would agree. I also learned that when they first pitched the book of Boba Fett, they called it the next chapter of the Mandalorian. Yeah. They straight up fucking called it that. The book of Boba Fett is Mandalorian season 2.5. Yeah. And it and it ties into what I was saying, I think, last week about how it's one big show called the Star Wars show. Yeah. And this is like the book of Boba Fett is like there's the Mandalorian It's the subheader Star Wars, the book of Boba Fett or book of uh, Mandalorian Star Wars Mandalorian part two Star Wars book of Boba Fett Star Wars a Sakatano Star Wars. Whatever the fuck is the next one. Who gives a fuck? Uh, the only one that doesn't seem to be following in the story of the Mandalorian is the Obi-Wan series. There's a bunch that aren't that are coming up. But I think you got to look at it from timelines because Star Wars loves to play in timelines. They always have. And with this, Filoni and Favreau are overseeing all of the shows that take place in this time period. They're all going to connect and they're all going to have a big thrust. You know, like Avenger style or whatever. It's probably however be they do the it. But Emperor Palpatine coming back again. But I don't know of, though because instead he's, of a he's million, supposed to be in the shadows. Instead of so. a million star destroyers, there's going to be ten million. But you star can't destroyers. have him be known because at this point in the timeline, <laughs> he's known to be dead. Right? I know. I'm just saying. Yeah. That it was really stupid that they brought him. Back Abrams for Rise of did Skywalker. not do well on Rise of Skywalker. Nine was a bad. That was a bad choice, dude. All they had to do is put a thing at the end of Last Jedi that was like the broadcast from the Emperor, the radio broadcast. But that, the, I don't think but you that know they, what they knew did? the Emperor instead was coming of, back at so that point. So instead of putting it out, it's not an, it's, it's like, you know where that came out? You know where they, they revealed the, the, the broadcast, the Emperor's broadcast? Yeah, I do. It was in like uh, one of those games. Um, Fortnite. Fortnite, that's it. Yeah. There was a special Star yep. Wars Fortnite event that you needed to participate in to get critical information about the rise of Skywalker. That's a fail. Yeah. That's a fucking movie fail right there when you got to play a shitty video game just to learn crucial information about the plot. I guess it wasn't crucial, crucial in the sense that you could still enjoy the movie. They they just uh, that one the of the plot. common criticisms, and you can include me in this, is that they distilled the Emperor coming back into two sentences that meant nothing. They said Palpatine's coming back. He's like, yeah, magic, cloning. Like, that's yeah. all he says. It's like, that's not enough the if third, you're bringing a big uh, character back. The third movie in every Star Wars trilogy has Palpatine get electrocuted by his own lightning. <laughs> yeah, it really does, doesn't every it? Every third movie, you would think he Palpatine's would lightning gets turned around on him. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Is he the dumbest Sith it's Lord of all time? Every time he's like, this yeah. is the time I've got unlimited power. Do it. <laughs> Yeah. Right, and he's was like, it? if you, and you know, like the whole idea of like, if you kill me, I will take control of you. And they're like, okay, but what if we just like reflect your own killing and you can, you kill yourself, dummy. <laughs> like you don't, th- he's like an all powerful Sith Lord. He doesn't have a contingency plan. <laughs> 
He's like, only really good break. at the stuff in the prequels. He's fucking only really good in the prequels, and then he was—that's when he peaked, and he just went past his prime. Uh, is there anything else on the Mandalorian you wanted to speak to? I know I, I wanted to talk about the Luke stuff a little bit because I was kind of amazed Dude, at what a good job looked, they okay, did. Okay, so here's what I—I I think he looks fucking fantastic. They don't need—they can just do that. He looked like he was fucking there. Yeah. It's crazy. What makes me, what I don't like about it is that they use some kind of uh, computer program to do the voice. But they got Hamill's permission. He like signed off on I'm, it. They paid sure. him the credit. In it. No, no. I, I'm not saying that they were, I don't think that but they were. It, it could lead to dangerous territory in the future. The, the thing that I didn't like about it was the dialogue was bad felt like it was being delivered by a computer algorithm. That's what I didn't like about it because it literally I, was. I didn't pick up there on that. There wasn't a voice actor doing his lines. Right. It was like I, I didn't pick up a, on that, but I would AI, I maybe I'll go back and watch it to see because I mean clearly you're right. I mean that's exactly what they it, did, so. And I kind of I didn't actually pick up on it until I read about that and then I was like, "Oh, that's why it felt off." Like I knew that it was off, but I didn't know why. And then when I read that, I was like, "Oh, that's exactly why it was off to you me." You know, there's this weird part of my brain that just kind of occurred to me now because we've been talking about this, but just in general, there's a lot of uncanny valley stuff that people get really upset with. And I've noticed that like there was this line when I was younger, in particular CGI in the 90s, that was super bad. And then they, for the most part, figured it out, you know. And there's like this part of my brain that just doesn't care because I've known it's fake all along. And I see that I'm like, that's fake. So it doesn't make me mad because like I just go along and play make believe because I already know it's fake. So like a lot of people are very critical about the look of Luke in the last episode of season two of The Mandalorian, for example. Yeah. And I just never even picked up on it because I knew it was fake the whole time. Once I saw it was Luke, I was just excited it was Luke. But now take Luke from that episode of The Mandalorian, leap put it side by side, and it is yeah. they have come so far in sh- such a short time when it well, comes to technology. And even when you technology. see him in that, he just pulls up the hood and you see him for like maybe 30 yeah. seconds in the here, episode. But here he's like walking, talking, sequences. jumping. Yeah. Like, uh, See that? Okay, I will say that his little acrobatic... Uh, reenactment of his run with Yoda. Uh, that didn't look very good. It didn't look very good. Oh, it, it didn't. Occur but to only me, but... because, only because, um, like it felt like an action sequence from the original trilogy as opposed to an action sequence from any other Star Wars movie outside of the original trilogy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in in the in the prequel trilogy, they were doing flips and it was like choreographed. And in the, the new trilogy, it kind of had some more newer action sequences. The first three movies of Star Wars, the action is not, it's like wobbly. You've got characters walking through doorways and banging their fucking heads because they can't see anything. You know, nothing. You know that the, Lucas pulled that scene and had fight, to put it back in? The sword fight in Star Wars between Obi-Wan and Darth Vader is like two six-year-olds having a fake sword fight with sticks in their backyard. Dude, it is it is not a fight. It, did you know David David Pratt? Okay, so this is funny. Like Lucas has said a bunch of times, like, oh, it's because it's these older warriors and they're coming to meet and they're at the end of their life. But because they didn't hire a choreographer. So if you go backwards, when David Prowse was hired, who is the body of Darth Vader, right? They were like, Do you fence? And he was like, Absolutely. I was like a championship fencer, like he just lied, making it up because he? he wanted yeah. to get the job. And he had no fucking idea what he's doing. So you put this guy who doesn't know what he's doing next to an 
older actor and Alec Guinness. So how hard is that older actor going to train when he realizes everything he does is just not going to be met on the other side? So you try and balance it so it feels like there's yep. something, right? That's what a good actor does. And at the end of the day, like that wasn't why people were going to see this movie was not for the action sequences. I mean, at least not those action sequences. It was for like the space battles and the freaking rancors and the freaking you know weird little tentacles coming out of the garbage things or whatever admiral akbar it's a trap that's why people are going they're not going for like lightsaber battles the prequel trilogy was like let's bring in some fucking real sick lightsaber battles and there was for all of the faults of the prequels the lightsaber battles are pretty amazing. Yeah, people are a little yeah. mixed on seeing little Yoda like bouncing around. Like, sure, because it's all CGI, ball. so but, it's uh, uncanny valley again, you know? Right. But uh, but yeah, like that wasn't part of the original formula, you know? And it's just funny that like <laughs> it's so bad. Like Boba Fett, that was the whole like part of the reason why Boba Fett was incompetent for decades before they ba- glossed him up and made him all badass in the last couple of years. Is because it's not because the character was incompetent, but because their portrayal of him on screen was just shitty. <laughs> well, I would also say that there's a lot of criticisms like, that like Boba Fett is not a great fighter. When he like gets he gets his ass handed to him over and over again in the series, and I'm like, oh, so they're writing him the way he was in the original trilogy. No, but this is the thing. No, this is the thing. It's like it's 1984 or whatever, right? When it uh, what year? Are you talking did, about Jedi? Yeah, when 80. did Jedi? 198 Return of the Jedi came out when I was negative three. Well, let me think. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Like New Hope, 77, 80, 83. You're okay, 83. 83. Yeah. So it's 1983. There's no CGI. There's no fucking. There is CGI, but it's very terrible. It's no, there's no like usable CGI. Yeah. Right. You've got a guy who's supposed to have a fucking rocket pack on his back, like the Rocketeer, and like fly around. How are they going to do that? Line, line work. That's and what they did. I know. And it looks. Yeah terrible because you can't get somebody looking cool flying through the air when they're hanging on a fucking wire going with their arms out like superman (laughs) it's just not gonna fucking look good it's just not you know like look at the old superman flying in this in the christopher reeves ones it looks like shit it's fine i gotta say especially knowing it's wire work i think it looks pretty fucking good well see this is the thing is in its time yeah i always i always put that context into it yeah now looking back it's like yeah that our brains were doing 10 times the effort of like making these people look cool in our minds i know for sure i thought the thundercats were fucking badass when i was a kid and if you try to watch a thundercats cartoon you're like this is a bunch of bullshit (laughs) and i realized like my little seven-year-old brain was doing all the heavy lifting and making these characters cool the only thing my brain didn't do is come up with what they look like as far as like, and then he like does his sword and he does a back, like that wasn't in the fucking show. <laughs> like I did all that in my brain. <laughs> I made these characters cool in my brain. I yeah. am the real star of the original Star Wars trilogy. I made all those characters so much cooler inside <laughs> my imagination. It's that's the weird thing about Star Wars is it, you can pretty much bet that all the filmmakers played with Star Wars toys at some point when they were a kid. Like, even Bryce Dallas Howard, like all of them. I feel like they all play with Star Wars shit when they were a kid. And so it's interesting because they're bringing their sensibility of play to this universe 
And it's fascinating because it looks different than it did with Lucas. You know, it just, uh, and I mean, times change, that stuff's going to happen, but it feels like every time somebody grabs a Star Wars gig, it's personal with them. Like they have a personal connection to this world. There's a few exceptions. I think the biggest one is Bill Burr is the biggest exception to that one. I, I said filmmakers. I did not oh, mean Oh, actors. I thought you meant yeah. actors. I'm no, no, sorry. not necessarily. Uh, yeah, Bill Burr is definitely a big, he big exception. Talks, he's been talking shit about Star Wars for decades. And what's <laughs> what's amazing about it is he gets this role on this and does pretty good. And, and then, crushes it. And then does a second one and then becomes this beloved character in Star Wars. And it's funny because like he's never backed off of see, what now he said. That, see, that, in my mind, that is how you troll somebody in a positive way is by making them the thing they hate, but you're not hurting them, right? Like, here's a good example. Gail Simone, the comic book writer, who is notorious on Twitter for starting hashtags and, like, going viral, like, every fucking day with some hashtag. Uh, she doesn't like Y-Wings, and she I is constantly either. talking shit about <laughs> Y-Wings. I don't either, dude. And there was some some random guy was like, Dude, just because you hate Y-Wings so much, I am now inspired to write a Star Wars movie. And there will be a character in that Star Wars movie who is a Y-Wing pilot and her name's going to be fucking Gale. <laughs> and I'm like, that's perfect. That's that's how you get them. That's how you get them. It's you take a thing like or even just like have a random in the have like a character in the background with red hair because Gale Simone's notoriously redhead. Not notoriously, but she is famously read it. So you have a character in the background that just goes like, pops up, has one line that's just like, I love Y-Wings. And then you credit them as Gale in uh, the credits. You know, like nothing harmful, nothing overt, just a funny little joke that, yeah. So Godzilla, the Roland Emmerich one. The Matthew Broderick? Yes. Okay. They have a part where I believe a Siskel and Ebert lookalike are oh, reviewing yes, yes. a Roland Emmerich movie. And then I think they get crushed by Godzilla or I believe something they do like that. Get destroyed. And <laughs> it's so funny because they obviously did <laughs> it good. to like fuck with Siskel and Ebert. And then Siskel and Ebert go on and they're talking about how it's not a good movie. And they're like, and look at this. And they show the scene with them and they're like, wouldn't it have been way more entertaining if they like grabbed us and like ate us or like they went through all this stuff they're that even... they could have done just to show how unimaginative criticizing their own murder, <laughs> their own on-screen I murder. I fucking love That's that. pretty good. Just how they like, Roland Emmerich did this to be like, fuck you guys. And then Cisco and Ebert are like, dude, even this is even not this done is bad. Well. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, apparently the character of, uh, in the Harry Potter books, the character of, uh, the one that wears the pink. You're asking the wrong person. You haven't seen any of the movies? I saw the first two <sighs> when they came out on a movie trade. I'm trying to remember the name of this character, but she's like, uh, she's awful. She's like, she wears all pink and she's like really bright, but she's super evil. She's one of those type of characters. At one point, Harry Potter's like, Voldemort's back from the dead. And she's like. How many times do they say that in those movies? <laughs> this is when <laughs> he's gotten, at that. this point, he's gotten definitive proof he is back. Okay. Right? And uh, he's being discredited by the Ministry of Magic because there's a bunch of bad guys in within the Ministry of Magic. This lady becomes the de facto head of the Ministry of Magic and is, or if she becomes the head of the school, Hogwarts. And at one point, Harry's like, Voldemort's back. And she's like, you're a liar. You need to write, I will not tell a lie. 
a hundred times on this piece of paper, but like every time he writes, I will not tell a lie on the paper. It like carves it into his fucking arm over and over again in the same spot. So by the time he's finished writing it, he's got a literal scar that says, I will not tell lies on the inside of his arm. It's fucked up. But apparently that character was based on a real specific person, like just one of those like. Probably and- somebody who is transgendered. <laughs> J.K. Rowling. I think it goes back to before, you know, I would say that J.K. Rowling wasn't always a transphobe, but only because she wasn't always aware of trans people. I think she became a transphobe the instant she learned of their existence, but I don't think she knew that that trans people were really a thing until she was like, after she'd written all the books and shit and became famous. I feel like the whole transgender thing was brought to her attention and she picked a side. Because I don't think so, there's a record. Oh, no. no. I'd, I'd be willing to bet that she was probably always a transphobe. But what happened was society suddenly started to reexamine it. Large swaths of society anyway. And then all the people who refused to do it, just some of them kept shooting off at the Now I'm remembering. I'm, I'm thinking she's one of those people. Now I'm remembering that she wrote a book as under a pseudonym. And it was uh, a horror book about a murderer. And the murderer was like... A trans person yeah, or there some you go. shit. Yeah. I don't remember. But like not. Just one of those things where it it's not something you would cert- you would necessarily uh immediately find suspect until she started taking the sides. And then you're like, whoa, in retrospect, that's a bad choice. Like if Jonathan Dem came out as a transphobe, and then you're like, ooh, yeah, now Buffalo Bill's not looking so great. <sighs> you know, it's funny Can- you said that because I was thinking about that, that portrayal. And just like how much people hated it. And the part that always stuck out to me, but I do understand the criticism. So this is not to take air out of is it. Is them explicitly been, saying he's not they transgender? They explicitly say he's not transgender. Yeah. That's like a point of it is like he's trying to transition into something else and he doesn't understand what that is. So he's glommed onto this thing. But they make it a point to say he is not transgendered, yeah. which indicates that there are transgendered, right? But I do understand the criticism of that, which is... 1991 when that movie came out we had no positive representation whatsoever of transgendered people only other part, maybe rocky it feels like the show, only maybe. part that even approaches him as a person that is is like the part where he's putting on the lipstick and tucking his dick between his legs and dancing mm-hmm. with the robe on to goodbye horses by the venus in fern i'd fuck me i'd fuck me hard yeah like that's the character of buffalo bill just really isn't all that ex- thoroughly examined it's the the story is not about buffalo bill the story is about clarice and Lecter. yes so and it's interesting because lector is a small part in it but he's such an important part you know right which is why he gets best actor even though he doesn't have a ton of screen time but i mean the time he was on the screen was impactful. Dude, yeah, it's still still referenced it's, all the dude, time. Him biting that dude's fucking biting that dude's face off, biting him in the nose. Dude, that biting somebody across the nose like laterally is that gets me because like you could this is all just cartilage. You could bite the fucking end of a person's nose off, I think. So it wouldn't be easy, but you could fucking do it. And that would be super disfiguring to a person. So what's really interesting about that <laughs> character to me looking back you know, still occasionally watching that movie is like that kind of stuff is what really stuck out to me at the beginning when I watched that movie. But now the stuff I think about is the stuff that's off camera. For example, Megs flicks some cum on like Clarice, right? When yeah. she's walking down and Hannibal him murdering hates, him. 
hates rudeness. By just talking to him? Yeah, he talks to him and, and somehow gets him tongue. to swallow his own tongue. And I'm like, how does that happen? What does he say See, to him that causes it? But I yeah. love that. No, like, I that's get That's like theater of the mind stuff. So like, that got me when I was younger. Nowadays, I would so hear that. So we reversed. And I would, yeah, yeah. Nowadays, I would hear that and be like, well, that's stupid. <laughs> but as a kid, I was like, holy fuck, he's that. He's so powerful. That's so he's funny. So, he's so manipulative that he can talk a person into dying. This makes sense because you just talked about how Thundercats was so cool because of the theater of the mind for you. And like that didn't do it for me. But like now I'm older and I'm into theater of the mind stuff more. But you're, you're regressing like more. Of this I'm stuff. growing. You're I just regressing. Think, I think these are things that <laughs> I think we're this just is on, a sign of on. We're just going simil- different. No, ways you're on going this. senile. That's <laughs> that could be too. <laughs> and I brain injury or something. <laughs> I have bumped my head on a lot of things. You need like an Iron Man magnet, but in your head to keep the shards of metal from going deeper into your brain. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, I think this has been a pretty good episode. It's been fun. All right. Next week, I'm going to talk some Oscar nominated movies with Brandon. Hopefully he'll do his homework and do Power of the Dog. So you'll hear me calling him out if he didn't, because he's had two weeks to watch this. now. (laughs) Take it easy. Bye. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Follow us on Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs, Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs, or email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions, too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void. 